0: Good World War II history told without any moralizing. It wasn't PC. It was just a good old fashioned war story and which is rare these days. It's, it's odd because it, the Americans do look at Band of Brothers, Pacific, great series and war films like um Saving Private Ryan, Fury, etc. in Glorious Bastards. We in Britain have tended to do what's that imitation game, which was about Bletchley Park, etc. We've almost been a little bit Timid at dealing with the realities of war, is killing. So that's why it was just refreshing to see this good Blood and Thunder series.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's pod. Today I have a friend of the show returning, Gavin Mortimer, author of The Phony Major, and he's talking with me about the new BBC TV series based on the officers and men who founded the SAS, Rogue Heroes. Now this is based on the book Rogue Heroes, written by Ben McIntyre, another friend of the show, which is a hugely entertaining account. The TV show is a six-parter and covers the events of 1941 as the British took the fight against the Germans and the Italians in the desert. We see David Sterling, Paddy Mayne and Jock Lewis, along with other legends of the SAS, such as Bill Fraser, Johnny Cooper and Reg Seekings. There are triumphs and disasters, but it's rollicking good TV. Jack O'Connell stars as Paddy Mayne, Connor Swindles as David Sterling, and Alfie Allen as Jock Lewis. I should warn you, there will be spoilers in this discussion. Both the book and the series came out before Gavin's new book, The Phony Major. This is one of those rare publications that really does change the narrative. It has shone a light on David Sterling and Paddy Mayne in particular, using impeccable research and first hand testimonies. When one considers the amount of books on the early years of the SAS, that's quite an achievement of Gavin's. Any future books on the SAS in the same period will need to have the phony major in their bibliography. Coming up, I've got discussions on World War I, The Zulus, The Seven Years' War, which is with a Hollywood director. And next week, I've got The Trial and Execution of Charles I, which took place in January 1649. If you can rate or review and subscribe, I'd be hugely grateful. I've put links to the BBC series in the show notes, along with Gavin's book, The Phony Major, and Ben's book. I've also added a couple of articles from our website that are interesting and feature characters from the TV show, Paddy Maine and Dudley Clark. But in the meantime, I'll hand you over to me talking with Gavin Mortimer on Rogue Heroes. <laughs> Gavin Mortimer welcome back to the uh the podcast it's fantastic to have you on thank you pleasure nice to be here Ollie uh, and we we're, we're here to talk about um uh, well it's been a bit of a tv sensation rogue heroes on the bbc uh, and i know on the social media it's been causing a lot of debate and i really wanted to get you on gavin because you've written this book um that we heard you talk about i think it was in may last year so listeners if you want to go back to may's uh, episodes you'll find gavin mortimer talking about his book entitled the phony major which is a biography of david sterling but also goes into a lot of detail um on paddy main their paddy main and these two men who are uh founders of the sas are Featured heavily in the TV series on the BBC, and so I wanted to get Gavin on to talk about the TV show and what where the TV show deviates away from historical record, and just to talk about a few other things that we that, that occurred to me uh, whilst watching it. And I wanted to just stay safe from the start, listeners. Uh, that I actually, I thought the TV show was fantastic and I really enjoyed it. The, um, the, each episode, I, I kind of didn't, having read Gavin's book, I kind of, Gavin, having read your book, I kind of didn't want to, to like it, but I did. <laughs> um, and I, I think you might have a slightly different view, uh, particularly the main, the, the Paddy main portrayal. But um, what were your, what were your over, overriding thoughts um, uh, of this TV show?
0: thought it was great entertainment um love the soundtrack i thought they got david sterling um very well they they captured his uh his arrogant bravado um and also the conflict with paddy main uh, there there was a competition uh, it's exaggerated in the in the tv series because paddy main didn't take david sterling seriously as a as a soldier, as a guerrilla fighter, and this rankled with um, with Sterling, And it's very much at the heart of my book, The Phony Major, that uh, it was only after Paddy Main's death in 1955 that Sterling returned to England from his exile um, in Southern Africa, published The Phantom Major in 1958 and created the myth of The Phantom Major. In effect, he stole Paddy Main's... Character, he slipped into his shoes, and, and, and he was the, uh, the, the, the fearless, innovative, audacious, ruthless guerrilla fighter. And Paddy Main was this dark, brooding, depressive, misogynistic, which was actually David Sterling. So I thought they captured that very well. Um, uh, other minor characters, Red Sea Kings was excellent, his, his sort of pug, pugnacious, in your fate attitude. The, the rather suave um Johnny Cooper he wasn't quite as callow as, as depicted in in um rogue heroes but that was very good really pleased to see the, they featured the French detachment heavily um because they were integral to the development of L detachment SAS in in 1942 so that so that was very good um, but as you said in your intro, Ollie, where I, I felt they I really missed a golden opportunity was to, to delve deep into this extraordinary complex paddy main. Um, and they just pulled, he was just rather too one dimensional, um, for, for my liking. If I'm being pedantic, obviously, he was six foot two very you know an international rugby player a heavyweight boxing champion and he, he came across as having short man syndrome in um rogue heroes you know just shouting the whole time i just wanted to slap him and say maine calm down man for god's sake because of course what what fascinated so many people malcolm played all the uh, elder attachment doctor who i he was actually the first SAS veteran vet, 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 i ever wartime veteran i ever interviewed in 1998 what, what um, intrigued him about Maine and, and is depicted so well in the book, Born of a Desert, which is the, uh, remains for me, the, the, um, the, the definitive uh, wartime account of, of SES operations, is his, the fact that he was so quiet, so languid, he was so softly spoken, um, out of action. And then there was this, this astonishing transformation where he would talk about uh when he went off on opt and he would say, Cheerio, Doc, hope will be some good killing today. And and, and I don't think he really yeah, they, they showed him, you know, his love of poetry and, and um and the sensitive side it sort of came out in Rogue Heroes. But I, I, think I, I
1: think it did, and this is where sorry to interrupt you, Gavin, but I think I think this is where I, I thought they did do a good job because I, I maybe I it was me and I was really looking for those moments and and, and to treasure them because um I find Maine obviously a hugely attractive figure, particularly after reading your book. But um I thought it he did I think there were many moments moments throughout the series where he that that there uh, there was a sensitive side that came over. And obviously what they were trying to say in the in the TV show was that. You know, uh, he, he was so uh, angry and violent because there was his loss of his friend Owen McGonagall, McGonag- which I think had been quite a, a, a big impact on it, on him, hadn't it? Hadn't it? that death?
0: Yeah, um, um, it, it may have been. We, we may be looking at looking back with twenty first century eyes. I um, mean, it was one moment, for example, uh, in in I've just been refreshing my memory today of the uh, the episodes when, um, is that, it's the episode six, the raid in Benina, um, yeah. which is actually in reality with Sidi Anish. Um, uh, uh, it was, they, they merged those two. But anyway, it, it sort of, what happened was 18 Jeeps led by Sterling and Maine went on to, and as you see in episode six, and they drove down the runway, opening fire on the aircraft, killing quite a few um, uh, Axis aircrew. And um, uh, they're all, you know, a little shocked about, uh, at the end, about the, the carnage they've inflicted. But it never came across to me, and I spoke to um, three I wanted to
1: people. ask about this. This is interesting. Right. No, no, yeah, no,
0: no. no, I mean, I, I, I you know, we, we talked about, uh, in all the interviews, I mean, just to uh, give you a bit of background again, I've probably interviewed in total about 100 SAS, SBS, long-range special boat squadron, long-range desert group. Um, and we, we talked a lot um, about um, death and um, uh, killing, in, not, in a, not in a crude manner. But one thing they did say, and a lot of it came up because, of course, um, from October 1942, Hitler issued this commander order whereby any captured special forces were to be uh, executed. And over 100 SS and SBS were, indeed, not in the Desert War, which was by and large chivalrous, but in, uh, in Italy, in Germany, in Italy and France. And, and I said to the, to the SAS men, did you ever uh, retaliate? And they were quite vigorous in saying, no, it's really important that you've got to retain your own humanity. And I believe them 100%. Look me in the eye and say, you know, shooting a man in cold blood, no. Um, killing a man in combat, no problem. Even if, uh, and again, I, I, I suppose um, ties in with the uh, episode. I think it's episode three when when Maine bursts into the um, uh, Tammet Airfield and he kicks open the door of the uh, of the mess and then opens fire. And it's 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 it's. it's we're, we're encouraged to think this is very. Callous bordering on a war crime which is nonsense they, these were combatants on the front line um, some of them would have had their small arms with them so they were a legitimate target and that's how the that's how the men uh, would have regarded them so we are I think as is commonplace in here today looking back at history through the prism of, of 2023 eyes and uh, and not putting ourselves in the uh, in the shoes of the, the men who were there and now addressing that
1: incident, and also, you know, it ties into the airfield. It's a similar, uh, similar situation whereby heavily armed SAS men are, are, are killing supposedly, you know, unarmed combatants. Those, both those incidents um, are presented as... I was watching that thinking, you know, Sterling, I think, after, the, uh, uh, after the, um, the main incident where he goes into the bar, as you say, and kills everyone in there, having said good evening... Sterling does say, you know, these aircrew will, uh, these engineers, mm. they will work on planes to fix them up to so they go back out. You know, it's not as if it's an incident that I, I don't think is is as controversial as maybe the TV show
0: was trying to make it. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, you know, then there you you might as well say, well, every everyone who's um, in in bomber command was a was a war criminal for for, for dropping bombs although I'm predominantly military targets, you know, also in, um, but that, you know, that was of, um, that, that's the reality of war, unfortunately. And, you know, you just, I've written a book about the blitz and spoke to many blitz survivors and the terror of, uh, 1940, 41 and the bugged in 44. So, um, it's, um, it, it's an area where, well, for, for me anyway, it's not, it's not an issue. It's, uh, they were legitimate targets. One thing I should say, Ollie, is that, um, Again, this was uh, a criticism that I make in the phony major of Sterling. Is that in, in the 1980s, when there was um, following the, the SAS storming of the embassy, Iranian embassy in May 1980, which really kick started the cult of the SAS that we have today? Um, there's a spate of books. Um, Sterling said that it was it intimated really quite uh, strongly that. Uh, what Maine had done was was in shooting the the aircrew when he kicked up and the door was was very callous. What he didn't mention was six months later uh, at on the raid in Benina when um, uh, in in reality what happened was it was just him, Johnny Cooper, and Red Sea Kings, and it was the first time actually seven months into the the um, operations of the uh, SAS that Sterling actually met with any success. It had been Paddy Mayne and, and uh, Bill Fraser, who'd, who'd uh, carried the, the elder detachment in the first six months. Um, he, they, they got onto Benina, they planted some bombs in, in hangars and a couple of aircrafts. And then as they were leaving, they saw a, um, a, Nissan, a Nissan hut and Sterling kicked open the door and it was actually a, a dormitory full of sleeping men and Sterling rolled a grenade along the floor. Now, if, we, if we're going to have an argument about callousness, what's more callous? Men kicking open the door, men looking him in the face and, and opening fire, or what David Sterling did, which is rolling a grenade along the floor as men slept. So, um, But again, I would say that this they were um, combatants and um, that's guerrilla warfare. It, it's not... No, it's not cricket.
1: It certainly isn't, and and it and I think that is shown really well in in the show. Um, now, now, one thing that whilst we're talking about Maine, um, he 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 is portrayed well by Jack O'Connell. Jack O'Connell, you know, he, he's got into the part that has been given to him. It's 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 a great portrayal. Um, but there's a kind of um, uh, there's a kind of class element to it i i i i got in the tv show in the main maybe one of the motivations behind him being so uh, unhappy all the time is because it's all these posh uh, slightly incompetent uh, officers who keep on making mistakes and th- that's something that really uh, really does get to him um is there is there a truth to that
0: is, is, i think is that- there is Ollie. i think there is um He uh, infamously had a run in with his acting CEO of number 11 Scottish Commando, Major Geoffrey Keyes, son of uh, Admiral Keyes, the Admiral of the Fleet and um, Director of Combined Operations at the time. Um, And he was an old Etonian, Sandhurst, uh, upper class, uh, desperate to prove himself a highlight of his of his school career had been when I think when he he, uh, won his second 15 colours. Um, So he was, you know, you'd say a a, a, a very mediocre rugby player. And then I've no doubt Maine brought out in a certain type of upper class Britain uh, an inferiority complex and on top of that, a resentment. A resentment because remember, Britain at the time was very, very class conscious. And they didn't like um feeling inferior to a middle class, well, not only middle class, but an Irishman. And so I think that caused some resentment. It may have been exacerbated by Maine. I think Maine was did not bother to conceal his disdain for this for this breed. I also think Ollie um I'm big um, uh, lover of rugby and um, I've studied Maine's rugby career and he went on the British and Irish Lions tour to South Africa in 1938 and it was a, uh, a squad and a test team dominated by the Welsh, the Irish and the Scots. It wasn't a strong English team at the time and anyway the English rugby at that point, was very very much upper class. So I think probably that Maine first his 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 um, contempt is too strong a word, but his his dislike and his lack of respect for particularly. I know I, mean, I know strictly speaking, Sterling was uh, Scottish, but he didn't. He did speak with an English accent, and uh, um, but it, it stemmed from. A lot of his rugby encounters when he, um, Ireland for example, beat England at Twickenham in 1939, I think it was the first time in about a decade, um, and so I think he just thought these English, you know, these English upper class, there's not actually much to them physically or mentally, and so he brought that um, uh, lack of respect into the army with him, and it didn't help that Sterling. After the death of of Jock Lewis, which really, uh, I thought, by the way, Jock Lewis was very well portrayed in Rogue Heroes and uh, they got his intensity and he was indeed deeply in love with this woman, Mirren. And um, he he was vital for David Sterling. And when he was killed, New Year's Eve, 1941, that uh, exposed him even more, if you like to the fact that Paddy Mayne by this time had become the de facto leader of, of the SAS. Sterling was spending more of his time in Cairo at his brother Peter, who was worked as uh, third secretary at the British Embassy. So he was spending most of his time there. Paddy was at Cabrit, 80 miles east, where the uh, elder Detachment were based, drinking in the sergeant's mess, playing tucked rugby with them, playing basketball with the French recruits. And so what did, how did Sterling overcome this, this widening gap between himself and the SS uh, Well, he recruited people of his own class? So Randolph Churchill, uh, Fitzroy McLean, George Jellicoe, um, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Alston, and, and then Carol Mather, Stephen Hastings, etc. So so and and some of them were good. Gellicoe, superb. Um, uh, Hastings and Mather, not too bad. Uh, Churchill, uh, a disaster. Fitzroy and McLean, very courageous, too regimental, didn't last long in the SPS. So uh, so so that's what that's what Sterling did. And and of course, that antagonised. I think that I think that really was. that was a, the, the, the final parting of the ways with Paddy Main, if you like. So you, you had uh, increasingly two distinct camps. Uh, Paddy Main, Bill Fraser, who remember 11 Scottish Commando and a lot of the Geoff um, de Vivier, Bob Tate, Jimmy Storey, who, who came from 11 Scottish Commando and then the um, Sterling and, 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 and his upper-class chaps and the the men who come from the Guard's commandos people like uh pat riley and um john cooper well the, yeah I, it was interesting watching how how
1: um many from the guards were part of the um the the original sas which which um i guess in contrast to today you get a lot of paris don't you in the sas
0: oh i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to tell you what Ollie had done. i don't have anything to do with that <laughs> <And> <laughs> today. but you do make a good point you just reminded me of something um yeah, you're right. They did come from the guards, um, and this is what uh, annoyed me about um, several articles, one by Anthony Beaver, uh, written at the time Rogue Heroes was broadcast, saying more or less that they were um, um, thugs, uh, wild, indisciplines, uh, ab- absolute nonsense. Uh, they came from the guards, a lot of them. Um, that everyone had come from uh, lay force commandos. So the commandos that had been trained in Scotland uh, rigorously. And, and this really was where a lot of them were, who didn't make it were um, returned, RTU'd, returned to units. And then the ones who did make it obviously had a, an iron discipline, very fit, very well trained. Um, and this. This idea that's been put around, unfortunately, by people who should know better, that they were misfits and, and renegades, it's just not true. Uh, and it, it, it annoys me because it's disrespectful to the men themselves. Um, and um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I can quash that one, that they were uh, um, fiercely disciplined. And, and this this went on throughout the the war and enabled them to... Transition, if I can put it that way, from um, a, a desert private army to then in 1943, uh, a commando force that uh, 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 took out a battery uh, in Sicily, uh, captured uh, an important naval base in Augusta, um, also in Sicily, and then landed at Bagnara and Termally for operations where they really showcased. The very best of um, their discipline, their training, their initiative, uh, their audacity, and then of course they reverted in 1944 to much more uh, special forces parachuting into uh, occupied France, deep in in France, central France, and uh, and working, training the Mackie, working with them to disrupt the uh, German lines of communications and impede reinforcements getting to Normandy. So they were not renegades uh they were not rogues they were a very 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 uh highly disciplined and well trained force
1: so there is one other p- part of paddy Mayne that i want to talk about before we um before we move on to I, I i'm quite keen to talk about dudley clark as well actually played by dominic west but um paddy Main in in the, there are hints um they they're, they're quite slight maybe maybe this is me uh, but there are hints that there may have been some kind of homosexual leanings towards um, his his great friend Owen McGonagall. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, it's very lightly hinted, I think. Um, so maybe some viewers didn't even pick up on it. And maybe it's just me.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it is. These these rumours are totally unsubstantiated. I, I did ask uh, uh, several veterans, Johnny Cooper. Um, it came up in the conversation. Uh, they said they'd never seen any evidence of that. Bill Fraser was homosexual um, and didn't really make much of a secret about it. The men knew, um, it didn't bother them because he was such a, a, a fine officer. Um, the I've I've never seen any evidence of any homosexual leanings of Paddy Mayne. I know that it, it came out in the book Rogue Warrior in 1987, all I would say about that book is that uh, several of the SAS veterans I spoke to turned up holding copies of it with passages marked, which as they told me, were absolute bollocks in their words. And um, uh, they knew that because they'd been there. Similarly, David Lloyd Lloyd Owen, um, uh, a distinguished Long Range Desert Group officer in the uh, LRDG newsletter, Following the release of uh, Rogue Warrior, which I think was in 1987, said that uh, while he'd enjoyed parts of the book, he was disappointed to find two cases of where the authors had deviated from what he would told them. So I would treat that book with a certain amount of uh, scepticism, as I would the rumours concerning Blair Mayne's sexuality.
1: Um, so Dudley Clark, who who is played by Dominic West, it's it's a it's a hilarious role, and he's it, it, we first see him dre- uh, in a dress with lipstick. And I just wanted to understand his his role in 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 the establishment of the SAS. Is he is he as presented in the TV show very useful in in um, in helping the senior command in in Cairo to 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 um, have it have it set up?
0: There are there is the line of thought. That he was i disagree i think in in my biography of david sterling he's he, i mentioned him briefly twice uh, as i say it was it was david's brother uh his big brother Bill sterling four years his senior who was really the brains behind um the sas uh dudley clark was there uh he was a very unusual character um he was a he was a military Uh, a great military theorist, as was Bill Sterling. Um, But it was, one shouldn't forget that the SAS didn't really fulfill their potential in uh, until 1943, as I said earlier with Paddy May, but also when Bill Sterling raised two SAS and they did, they performed some extraordinary operations parachuting into Northern Italy in, in two, three man teams. And, um, uh, destroying the german lines of communications trains and and ambushing um uh, convoys uh, so i mean also amphibious operations coming ashore blowing bridges etc so i don't i don't subscribe to the uh to the theory that dudley clark was instrumental in in raising old attachments uh he was a, a cross-dresser apparently um and um but I think his role was was overstated and it's, it, it was Bill Sterling, who just very quickly, to, he, he was in SOE, Special Operations Executive, in 1940. And he went out to Cairo with SOE again in, in, in a uh, mission led by Peter Fleming. He was so disgusted with the disorganisation of SOE. He went back to the Scots Guards, where his parent regiment for a time. And then he was headhunted by GHQ. In the summer of 1941, and ended up working as the, you like the, the advisor, the aide to um, Lieutenant General Arthur Smith, who was the chief of the General Staff, so second only to Wavell, and that is how um, the SAS came to be. It was a combination of David and Bill. The idea, this story that it was David who broke into GHQ, you know, very, very. Um, audaciously to thrust his idea into the hands is uh it's a wonderful story but it's absolute uh, poppycock
1: it's with a case of champagne yeah that's right yeah which which must have been warm and so drinking warm champagne in cairo that's one bit that i didn't like (laughs) Um, so that's interesting okay um, now the other thing um, we want we we must talk about Randolph Churchill first of all uh, uh, I think it's episode t- two you get the training which I guess is a precursor to the famed SAS selection of nowadays in the training episode in the tv show this they're, they're hiking across the desert um, not given much water they jump off jeeps at 30 miles an hour to simulate parachute jumps presumably there was additional training because the people who did join they were they were already proficient in their in their own regiments was there additional training just like this the tv show
0: showed it it was yeah i thought that was that was very well depicted uh ollie the 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 training the i thought i I love the scene where uh sterling and lewis experiment with the parachute when they they tie the static line to the uh to the seats and then just jump out and they um, that that happened. Sterling was was badly injured. Lewis actually was injured himself the next day. Um, so I thought that and yeah, but as you say, they, they were commandos, so they they had uh, uh, an extreme level of fitness and training and discipline, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so, but it was a case of Jock Lewis was their training officer. Paddy Mayne did quite a lot too. Sterling was in Cairo a lot of his time, actually. You know, quite rightly. Um, overseeing the logistical side of things. So it was it was Lewis and Maine. But there was a lot of uh, particularly demolitions, the the famous Lewis bomb, uh, which they used to to destroy the aircraft. Um, And um, and yeah, that's right. Working out the water intake and uh, how far really the the body could go without with with minimum water and, and limited food. And that was, yeah, it was it was very. And then they increased loads on their pack to I think about sixty pounds. And then they had a final dress rehearsal when they uh, uh, stole onto uh, an RAF field uh, and laid dummy charges on on uh, several aircraft. And they did it undetected. so that was a bit of a uh, um, a boon to their to their confidence. That was really well done in the series, I thought.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing that they did well, it was the first operation, which was a complete disaster. And the parachute jump in a sandstorm, the I think when when you see these highly trained, highly competent commandos, SAS men being in this helpless position of being dragged through these uh, this terrain of. of Thorn bushes and rocks. It's just I, I, that was a hugely powerful. I found that extraordinarily well done.
0: Best and moment of a best moment of a series for me, Ollie. That was. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, I interviewed Donny Cooper, Jimmy Storey, and Jeff vivia who were on that night, and and they described it exactly as you saw it on TV. And and that's right. It was um, uh, really just a question of luck. There was one soldier, uh, Sergeant Doc Kane, who. Distinguished himself uh, with uh, eleven Scottish Commando, Paddy Main's uh, unit at Latani River in Syria in the beginning of June, um, and was considered uh, arguably the, you know, the the one of the most accomplished soldiers in our detachment. He he broke his back on that first raid, and uh, that was that was him finished. And and um and Johnny Cooper telling me that you were just. It was totally out of your control. You were just um, uh, bouncing along the ground, over rocks, cutting yourself, and uh, through through scrub, uh, and, until finally you you know you you your your shoot caught on something, and um, it was most of them. in Sterling's stick, for example, of ten men. I think only Bob Tate was uninjured. Uh, Sterling had had several. Uh, bruised and and the rest of them were also walking wounded so it was um it was a disastrous operation and and you you got that in the series it was it was fantastic you well done
1: and later on um so that's after the first operation i think we in seri- episode five and six we get the um inclusion of the french and maine is assigned to train them and w- which i think um y- main was not happy to be given a training role was he
0: no he was furious quite quite understandably and uh, i do think that, uh as is shown in the series that it, it was sterling's attempt uh <laughs> to sort of uh, well in effect leaving in a sporting analogy leaving on the bench so sterling could go and score a few goals himself and um he uh, I'm not surprised that uh, Paddy Main was resentful. And uh, of course. Also, it was it was it displayed a lack of awareness, a lack of shrewdness on the part of Sterling that Main wasn't cut out to be a training officer like all like geniuses. And he was a, a genius in, in guerrilla warfare. He just knew it was instinctive and he couldn't really pass it on to lesser mortals. Um, and in the it was then i think riley pat riley took over for a while and then the other thing of course was patty Mayne couldn't speak french who could speak french jeff devivier so um who who had um, been with bill fraser on a couple of very good raids and uh, he was uh, a corporal and he was appointed training officer much again to his uh, um uh, annoyance and uh paddy main went back to operations but uh that did happen though without paddy main beating up the french and shooting at them that was uh, artistic license uh well the commander of the french um uh,
1: detachment he went on to uh, he he was captured as they showed and he ends up in Colditz with sterling doesn't he
0: yeah that's right um uh george berget he was captured at uh from the raid at Heraklion in crete in june nineteen forty two um along with three of his men one was killed uh, george jellica I was i was a little i'm a big fan of george yeah no, no no he big wasn't he't make an appearance no because he was on that raid and um he was a, a he was a uh a, a very charismatic character later commanded this special boat squadron and um and never Interviewed a veteran either SAS or SBS who didn't have anything but good to talk about to to say about Jellicoe. So yeah, he's a and of course he was um yeah, again uh, famous family so um and a real character a, a great raconteur and uh, so I thought yeah it was strange that they didn't include him but um yeah that's right but the, the coldest thing of course Sterling only ended up he was only he was captured in January forty three and then he went to he spent his first six months in Gavi, Campo 5, near Genoa, I think, if I remember rightly, in northern Italy, and then went to a couple of uh, other prison camps. And It wasn't until August 1944 that he went to Colditz. He was there for six months before he was liberated in, in April
1: 45. Um, Right, so we mentioned Randolph Churchill, um, who it is, there's no, if his name, if his surname hadn't been Churchill, it's unlikely he would have made it in. But he does come across as, um, well, that's, that's why he's there in the TV show. But um, you've, I think you've got a few tales from, uh, of Churchill's time, Randolph Churchill's time in the SAS.
0: One, uh, Arthur Tomo Thompson, sergeant who joined El Detachment in early 42, described him, Churchill, as a fat, blubbering, useless, no good. Um, so there you go, no, no, no seeing on the fence from Tomo. Uh, Roger Boutinot, who was one of the original French veterans, said that he was drunk most of his time, and he, re- he remembered one time in Cabrit, he'd obviously staggered out of the uh, mess to his tent, but was so drunk he'd failed to make it in time, and was just lying there in the <laughs> mid-morning sun um naked i think from the waist up red as a lobster fast asleep snoring loudly however having said that it was an astute move by sterling and sterling admits that you know he 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 recruited him because of his dad and it was a useful way of having the pm's ear uh, rogue heroes uh, subscribes to the phantom major myth that he actually was was great chums with, with Winston Churchill, that that was just Sterling um, post-war making things up. But nonetheless, Randolph did write letters to, to Winston. Winston had, had a soft spot for for buccaneers, for, for boys' own bravados, obviously it was his idea to form a commando in uh, when he became PM in um, May 40, and he was a sucker for uh, a swashbuckler, and that's what... Randolph, who was of course was a journalist pre-war, and sold him in these in these wonderful letters that he wrote to his father. And there's a uh, a quote in the phoney major uh, um, a letter from Randolph's wife Pamela to to him, yeah, saying, "Oh, your last letter, uh, uh, Daddy found it wonderful. He's been showing it to everyone, and he's uh, showing it now to Max Beaverbrook, obviously the big." Uh, um, newspaper Baron, and uh, so so job done for Sterling. He he really um, pushed. I, I think it would be unfair to say he was it was self promotion. It was promoting L detachment, but with a view for himself to really um, take control. I mean, Sterling actually wanted to take control of raiding forces in a, in their entirety, including the long range desert group and and other. Forces that never came to fruition. He just uh, um, uh, got the expansion of L detachment, initially six officers and 60 men, to uh, the first SAS regiment a year later. Phenomenal achievement of 592 uh, men, officers and men. So um, uh, uh, that that was down very much to, to networking, of which Sterling was a master. And again, I thought no heroes did that very well i like the sterling character because as i said it it did capture just his his sheer nerve and uh his belief that he could talk anyone into doing anything no matter who they were um uh but that he was the equal of everyone
1: right so we're i think it's been announced that there is a second series yeah um and i know you've got a few concerns about it but um uh, what, what can we look forward to? Because we're now, um, I, we've got a little bit more in, in, in North Africa, but then there'll be Sicily, Italy and, and, and France, won't there?
0: Well, really, yeah. I mean, there's not much more in, in, Stirling was captured January the 24th, 1943. He left behind him, I quote, chaos. Uh, that was John Lodwick, uh, uh, an SAS officer, who said that because Stirling had an aversion to administration, his filing cabinet his office was his head um and totally irresponsible to get captured by the way he'd been when when elder attachment became one sas his orders were not to go on operations as the CO. he defied that uh because he was very much again he was that competitive element he wanted and again this, you see this in uh in um the the final episode of the first series of rogue heroes that it was, it was getting one up on Paddy, on Main by becoming the, the first unit from the Eighth Army to go drive up through Tunisia to meet the British First Army who were advancing from the south, from the north of the country, um, but utterly irresponsible to get captured. And, and it did throw um, the future of SAS very much up in the air. And it was Bill Sterling who um, was sent to Cairo and to Cabrit, uh, to assess and make a report Bill Sterling had um, uh, a good relationship with Paddy Main they had a mutual respect there and um, it was his recommendation that that Paddy Main become a takeover command of one SAS and then a chap called Lieutenant Colonel Henry Cater would become if you like um, head of raiding forces so encompassing the SBS uh, the Greek Sacred Squadron and other special forces unit, the SAS Uh, He was 46, a World War One veteran, um, but he was very much chief executive. So he'll deal with the admin, which Sterling should have done um, with uh, SAS and leaving Maine free to concentrate on preparing um, SAS for operations in Sicily and and Italy. So that's where we sort of are at the moment. Now, I hope very much that that they're going to follow them into Sicily and Italy, as I said earlier. There's some wonderful operations there, um, and uh, and also perhaps show that there's no doubt that that Main did uh, he did rise to the challenge of commanding a regiment which Sterling didn't, and he um, the way he organised um, one SAS trained it, um, prepared it physically and mentally, um, cultivated competition. It was split into three troops it was one i suppose again i think i think maine's sporting background was was very actually more important than we think in his career as a soldier he took many um lessons if you like qualities that he'd learned characteristics that he'd learned um as a boxer a rugby player a cricketer and, and and applied them to to uh, the one SAS, particularly in terms of training and formation, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I did see a, a quote from um, Stephen Knight saying, oh, uh, the, the writer that we may look at uh, taking Sterling into uh, uh, developing some plots in politics, you know, Personally, I think it's time to, to leave Sterling as a prisoner of war um, where he can do no more damage to the SAS.
1: Right so i think that kind of covers it i i i'm just wondering if there's if there's if there's anything glaring that i've missed out that you wanted to to mention
0: no not no i think i think it's been a, it's been quite a a a comprehensive um discussion really we've, we've covered most things i'm just i just made a few uh, notes here at uh, whilst you're um, doing
1: that i'm gonna list out the bands that that have yeah appeared, and this is just a few you've got acdc black sabbath the cure the stranglers the clash saxon the damned sham 69 the stooges and george formby and noel coward motorhead and motorhead yes yes that was in the final episode wasn't exactly,
0: it? exactly that's right yeah one of my yeah. favorite songs brilliant yeah, yeah and was, the soundtrack was great, and um, and there was um, some uh, real footage as well. I think I think that, there was, in, wasn't there? Yeah,
1: dispersed. yeah. I really like that. That went really yeah. well.
0: Yeah, um, and I think in terms of um, uh, in terms of um, um, kit and equipment, etc. Um, I think that they did pretty well on that too, and um, so um, I think yeah. No, I mean I, I'm you know there, there's there are some Um, pedants and purists out there who who disparage it excessively in my opinion i think i think it 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 did a good job Uh, it raised awareness uh, of uh, not just the sas but but sort of you like um just good world war ii history told without any moralizing it wasn't pc it was just a good old-fashioned war story and which is rare these days. It's, it's odd because the, the Americans, you know, do you look at Band of Brothers, Pacific, great series, and war films like um, Saving Private Ryan, Fury, etc., Inglourious Bastards. We in Britain have tended to do what was that imitation game, which was about Bletchley Park, etc. So we've, we've sort of almost been a little bit timid at, at dealing with the realities of war, which is killing. And And I thought, so that's why it was just refreshing to see this good old uh, blood and thunder series and yeah I mean it, historically it was it it wasn't perfect, but it says that at the beginning doesn't it It's based on true events. So I think you know i I enjoyed it and uh, I'm looking forward to the season two, but um I just hope my, my, as I said right at the beginning ollie my my one hope is that they they bring more nuance to uh, Blair uhblemen.
1: Well, they made the TV show before your book was published. <laughs> and so now that they will have uh, your book in their hands, I'm, I, I'm sure that that's what will happen. Gavin, <laughs> Altimer, thank you so much for your time.
0: Ollie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: So as I mentioned there, it is a great show and what a treat to have Gavin's take on it. As I mentioned at the start, there are links in the show notes to what we've discussed and a couple of articles on our site on Maine and Clark by Gavin and author Tom Petch. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate or review if you can. Next week we have the trial and execution of Charles I. Thank you and good night.